discuss the tax implications of a non-qualified plan. With non-qualified plans, the objective is almost always to defer income taxes to the participant until benefits are paid out. This tax deferral is allowed as long as you are aware of the tax traps that could result in earlier taxation. This is actually the trickiest part of non-qualified plans. The design restrictions are these tax rules. The first rule is that a benefit subject to a substantial risk of forfeiture will not be subject to income tax. So as long as the risk of forfeiture continues, taxes can be deferred. An example of a risk of forfeiture is a traditional vesting schedule. Other common options include performance incentives requiring the executive to be available for continued consulting after retirement or satisfying a do not compete provision before benefits are paid. Now, however, once a benefit is no longer subject to a risk of forfeiture, another way of saying this is once the participant is fully vested, taxes can still be deferred as long as the participant does not receive a current economic benefit, which is now codified in Code Section 83, and as long as the participant is not considered in constructive receipt of the benefit, which is described now in Code Section 409A. An individual is considered having received an economic benefit if property is set aside irrevocably for his or her benefit. The idea here is that the property is no longer the employer's. Typically, it's in the hands of a third party, and the benefit will be paid at a later date. For example, with qualified plans, contributions are made to an irrevocable trust that can only be used to pay benefits. So if such a trust was used to fund a non-qualified plan, the participant would have an economic benefit at the time contributions were made to the trust and would be taxed once benefits became non-forfeitable. The economic benefit doctrine has a profound impact on non-qualified plans. To avoid the economic benefit doctrine, any assets held to pay benefits must remain property of the sponsor or be placed in a trust that is still available to the claims of the sponsor's creditors. Because of this rule, non-qualified plan benefits are not as secure as they would be under a qualified plan. The other tax consideration is the constructive receipt rule, which focuses on the opportunity to have the benefit now or defer it to later. So if an executive earned a $10,000 bonus and then was asked if she wanted to defer it, she would be in constructive receipt and would be subject to current income tax even if she elected deferral. This rule has now been incorporated in Code Section 409A of the Code and failure to satisfy the rule results in current income tax and it also subjects the executive to 20% excise tax. The rules of 409A all make sense if you keep in mind this concept of constructive receipt. Now first, the election to defer must generally be made in the year preceding the year in which the salary is earned. So to defer 2011 earnings, the election must be made in 2010. Now second, 409A requires that the form of benefit distribution and the timing of payments be determined at the time of the deferral election. Either the plan can specify the form and timing or give participants an election. Now this is much different than in a qualified plan. Here participants can elect the form of payment at the time of the distribution. But if this was allowed in a non-qualified plan, a participant that could choose, for example, between a lump sum and an annuity would be considered in constructive receipt, triggering tax on the entire benefit even if the annuity was elected. Now there's one helpful exception that allows a participant to make a new election to continue to defer receipt as long as the new election is made more than 12 months before benefits are actually paid. 
One final constructive receipt issue is around limits on the participants' ability to control the timing of distributions. If participants could access funds at will, they would be in constructive receipt. Code section 409A allows payment at a specified date, after separation from service, after death or disability, or upon a change in corporate control. The law also does allow a participant to get a withdrawal if there is an unforeseeable emergency. But unlike a 401k hardship withdrawal, these are only allowed if there is truly an emergency. One other important tax issue is determining when deferred compensation is considered wages for purposes of FICA employment taxes. Unfortunately, the rule does not have the same result as under the income tax rules. Under the FICA rule, an amount deferred must be considered wages as of the later of when the services are performed or when there is no longer a substantial risk of forfeiture. There is also a non-duplication rule. This rule provides that once a deferred amount is taken into account for employment tax purposes, neither that amount or income attributable to it will be treated as FICA wages into the future.